0: Morning, church. Morning. All right, uh, let's open up to First John. Let's get right into it. Book of First John. As we continue in our study of the book of First John, we also want to remember that our Ventura campus will be getting this sermon. So we always tell them how much we love them by applauding. But let's do something different. Let's do something different. I don't know. Let's be creative. I don't know. What should we do? Stand up and dance. I, I don't think you guys are on camera. It's just me, and I'm not going to dance. Maybe we just yell, we love you, on the count of three. We love you, Reality Ventura. How about that? One, two, three. We love you, Reality Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, Ventura, you yell back at us. Louder, we can't hear you. All right, maybe next time. First John, we are in the book of First John. Um, oh, wow, I have my... Notes reversed here. Let me fix these a little bit quickly here. Little snafu, technical difficulty. Okay, book of First John. There it is. Uh, the title of this message is Our Abode and Christ's Return. Let's look at First John uh, starting verse 28 of the second chapter. I'm reading and teaching from the New American Standard. We'll go through the third verse of the third chapter. Verse 28 of 1 John 2, John the Apostle writes and says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, but it's not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We do know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful salvation that we have. And uh, Lord, it just feels like we're all aware this morning that uh, life is crazy and has all sorts of ups and downs. And yet we have so great a salvation. We have been saved from our sins, which were many. We have been washed white as snow. We have new life and we have a new hope. And Jesus, you are our Lord, who was, who is, and who is to come. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful to so great a salvation, to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, to live lives that would bear fruit for your glory. And to live an expectation of the blessed hope of your return. To establish your kingdom once and for all on earth. Lord, work these things in us. We just confess that we are uh, self-absorbed and easily overwhelmed and involved in all sorts of things. But we want the life of Christ to be more profound and evident in our lives. Jesus, you appointed us that we would bear much fruit. And so use your word and your spirit to transform us. And please use me to teach and preach in a way that's faithful and fruitful for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, John told us that we are in the last hour. and We talked about what that means as we're moving toward the return of Christ. We are in the last hour. And what John is gonna tell us now is that the truth about the return of Jesus Christ ought to change our lives profoundly. That that doctrinal truth, which is a core essential of the Christian faith, if you don't believe that Jesus is returning, you don't have Christianity. It's not a secondary issue. It's not a tertiary issue. It's not up for debate. There's some nuance that may be unclear to some of us, But it is a central tenet of the Christian faith that Jesus is returning to establish his kingdom and judge the world once and for all. And this is glorious news. And that news ought to change the way that we live now. That future reality ought to have a present effect on our lives. That's what John is getting at in our text. And all through the book of 1 John, he's been talking about two things, right belief and right behavior, right? We've seen that all the way through. Right belief about Jesus, getting Jesus right, and right behavior, getting life right, what it looks like to follow Jesus, to have lives that are faithful and fruitful, And it's become really clear to us that what we believe about Jesus will affect the way that we behave with one another in the world and before God. And he's addressing those in the book who had wrong ideas about Jesus and so wrong behavior, wrong ideas about the incarnation and so the atonement and so the reality of sin. And so they weren't living faithful and fruitful lives. Getting Jesus right and getting life right. Now in our text, he's drilling down on this concept a little deeper. And there's two key things that we got to keep in mind in this passage. These words, abiding and returning. The Christian is to be abiding in Christ and Christ is returning. So these are the two key phrases. Christ is going to return and until then, we are to abide in him. Again, again, Right biblical doctrine about Jesus will change the way that we live in this world. And part of getting Jesus right is recognizing his imminent return. That's part of what it means to get Jesus right. To not realize that he could return at any moment is as big of an error as denying his incarnation, which was the error here in the book of 1 John. Part of getting Jesus right is realizing that he's going to return again. Part of getting life right then is living in a way that is congruent with that, consonant with that. In a way, the text says in verse 28, in a way in which when he returns, we will not be ashamed. Talk about what that means in a moment. So both of these things ought to affect our lives. The doctrinal truth of the return of Jesus Christ and the practical implications then of walking in obedience, one is his return. One is motivational and revelational. Revelational isn't even a word. Just made it up because it rhymes. But you get what it means. It'll be on Wikipedia or something soon. One is motivational and revelational, the return of Jesus Christ. And one is transformational and relational, abiding in Jesus Christ, transformational and relational. The return of Christ is great motivation for Christian obedience. Abiding in Christ actually changes us into the image of Christ so that we are more obedient. So John starts out in verse 28 by saying, and now little children, abide in him. And now, in light of all that's been said already in the book, in light of all of that, here's what you gotta do. He's given us a lot. He's breaking it down, making it simple. Abide in Jesus, what does it mean exactly to abide? The Greek word is meno, but what does it mean to abide? It's evident from the book of 1 John that it's one of the apostles' favorite words. He uses uses it all sorts of times in all sorts of different ways. He would have heard Jesus talking about abiding, in, himself, right? in fact, John is the only one who recorded what Jesus had to say about abiding in his gospel. So John is into this idea of abiding. What exactly does it mean and what does it mean in this verse? Well, it's got a lot of meanings. The basic meaning of the word to abide is to remain or dwell in a place. It's a basic meaning. To remain or dwell in a place. The noun form is abode, right? When someone comes to your house, you say, welcome to my abode. Nobody says that, but you get the idea. The noun is abode, a place. The verb is abide, to be in, to stay in, to dwell in that place. That's a basic meaning. Now there's some nuance to John's use of the word abide in the book of 1 John. The first way that he uses it is to speak of a person who is remaining in a certain state or condition. Okay, so it's not so much spatial as it is a condition or a state. We see that in chapter 2, verse 10. Let's read that for an example. It says, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. Okay, so when we love each other, as Christ called us to do, we stay in the light. What is the light? The reality and the truth of Jesus Christ. Okay, remaining in that condition of walking in the light through loving one another. Another example of that is in chapter three, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Rather than being in the state of new life in Jesus Christ, if we refuse to love our brethren, it shows that we don't have new life. Rather, we're abiding, staying in the state of spiritual death. So there's that usage for John. The second way that he uses the word abide is to speak of someone persevering or continuing in something. The idea of remaining steadfast, chapter four, verse 16. If you look at that, it says, and we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So abides in love, the idea there is continuing, and God continuing to abide in us, remaining steadfast. There's a third way that John uses the word abide, and that's to speak of certain things, namely in the book of 1 John, divine gifts remaining in us. Chapter 2, verse 14 is a picture of that. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. So it could be something that dwells in us, right? Colossians chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Same word, abide in you. He says to the young men in the church, the word of God is abiding in you, remaining. Chapter three, verse 15. It's another example of this usage. Negative one, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then there's a fourth and final way that John uses the word meno. To speak of two people or entities that stand with one another or remain united. Chapter 2, verse 6, first time he used it this way. He says, the one who says he abides in Jesus ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. The one who says that he stands with Jesus, is united with Jesus, is in Christ through faith, okay? Standing together, abiding. And then our text, chapter two, verse 28, and now little children abide in Jesus. What he's telling us then is that in the last days, in which we're in, as we spoke of last week, because there's much deception and there's many antichrists, there's much opposition to Jesus Christ. The call to the Christian is to continue to stand with, remain united, and importantly, connected to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. In light of opposition, in light of false doctrine, In light of persecution, in light of the spirit of Antichrist, the fourth use of the word, stay connected to Jesus Christ. If he could tell us anything, it's to remain close to Jesus. The New Living Translation says it this way, simply, remain in fellowship with Jesus. So we've got to ask ourselves then, Okay, let's not just read the Word of God. Let's let the Word of God read us. Let's not just handle it. Let's let it handle us. We need to ask ourselves. You need to ask yourself if you're a Christian at this moment. Are you remaining in fellowship with Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Or is there in your life a drift? Is there in your life you're starting to grow cold? Is there in your life, as there often is in my life, just a distraction with many other things? And they may be very good things, but for you, they've become things that are a distraction, that are pulling you away from the main thing, the one thing. That's what John is saying. Look, we live in an age of deception. We live in an age of opposition. We live in an age of the spirit of Antichrist, but there's one main thing you ought to do if you forget everything else. Stay deeply connected to Jesus. Jesus. Just abide in, dwell in, stay with Jesus is the stance, is the modus operandi, is the approach to life for the Christian. We get this from Jesus. John chapter 15, let's look at it. When we read 1 John, we see that he always has in mind his epistle, even though he wrote, excuse me, his gospel, even though he wrote the epistle, 1 John first, but there's lots of interplay here. So when he's talking about abiding, he's taking his cues from Jesus. In John chapter 15, familiar passage. Let's we'll read the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine. Okay, some more imagery here. Jesus calls himself lots of things, right? The the shepherd, The door, the gate, the bread. Now he says, I'm the vine. It's obviously imagery, metaphor. I am the true vine. And my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. That's a whole nother sermon right there. Verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Okay, there it is. Stay connected to, united with, dwelling with. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, here's the imagery, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Pause right there for a moment. Unless a branch stays connected to the vine, nothing happens. I have on the edge of uh, my property where I live here in Carpinteria, a big old oak tree and a huge branch recently fell from it. And I was amazed at how quickly it turned brown. I mean like overnight. And it was a beautiful big green oak tree. None of that moth disease happening. None, of it was just big and beautiful. And then in high winds, this big branch broke. And it was just a matter of days until it was brown and dry and crispy. Why? Jesus is just using this imagery. Then unless you're connected to the source Right? The vine, unless you're connected to the source, you cannot bear fruit. No brainer. Maybe I'm explaining it too much. No brainer. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Right? And what what we've been talking about for so long is endeavoring to live faithful and fruitful lives. And it cannot happen unless we abide in Jesus, it's not automatic. It's not like, okay, I'm saved and I have Jesus and I'm gonna go about my life business as usual. It's purposeful connectivity. It's like your marriage, man. If you don't give attention to your marriage, your marriage is gonna be a bummer, right? If you don't endeavor to stay connected, it's like any relationship. If you don't endeavor to stay connected, it doesn't go well. It dries up, it withers, it goes awry, it doesn't bear fruit. We have to be intentional with our connectivity with one another. We have to be intentional with our connectivity with Jesus. That's what he's saying. You wanna bear fruit? You wanna be a fruitful Christian or a barren Christian? If you wanna be a fruitful Christian, must abide in, stay connected to me. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. It's a little scary, but I won't explain it. I'll just let you sit with it. Verse 7. If, on the other hand, we'll move to this one, you do abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. There's a nice little hint. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, we realize that what Jesus is not saying is that if we obey him, then he will love us. We understand that, right? That's not the gospel. Right? That's not the context of Scripture. He loves us in spite of our disobedience, right? God demonstrated his love for the world in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't say, okay, be well-behaved people and then I'll die for you. Christ said, oh, you guys are so naughty, but the Father loves you so much. I'm going to come and give my life for you. Right, we, we got that. We understand that. But he's talking about the fact that when we obey Christ, we put ourselves in the place of experiencing the life of Christ, experiencing the love of Christ, the blessing of Christ, the moving of Christ. We're abiding in his love in all sorts of ways when we obey. Jesus made it real simple in some coming verses. And in the last chapter, when he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. But the thrust of scripture is not our love for Christ, but rather Christ's love for us. And then in verse 11, he says this, here's great hope. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Look at that little secret. Jesus is saying there's a greater way to joy in this life than what is normal and popular. Abide in me, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. So are are we? Are we abiding in Christ? And you're saying, well, I I don't know. What, What does it look like to abide in Christ? Well, I don't know. That's part of the journey of life, isn't it? Right? It's, it's different times and different seasons and different moments of life. It, it looks different to abide in Christ on your wedding day than it does on the day that your daughter dies. It looks different to abide in Christ in the day when a new child is born as a day when you're diagnosed with a terminal illness. It looks different to abide in Christ at your child's birthday than it does when your divorce is finalized. It perhaps looks different to abide at Christ when you're 20 than it does when you're 60. But there are some constants. As there are in any relationship, if I want to have a good relationship, there's three things that must take place. I must hear what a person is saying. I must communicate to a person what I want to say. And I must spend time with that person. So it is to abide in Christ. We have to regularly hear what he is saying. That would be the Bible. We need to regularly hear what he has to say. So if we're going to abide in Christ, bare minimum spending time in the word of God. Bare minimum. There's ebbs and there's flows and there's seasons. But the tone and the tenor of our life, if we have a real relationship with Christ, would be, well, I want to hear from him. So the, Word of God. But a relationship is not made of a monologue. A relationship is made of a dialogue. Right? I can't just talk to my wife. I need to hear what my wife has to say to me. Otherwise, este es muy feo. I think that's Spanish for, it's not good. So, prayer. Right? The word of God, hearing from God. In prayer, speaking to God. Of course, there's dynamics in prayer where God is speaking to us, of course. But in general, when we read the word of God, God is speaking to us. And when we pray, we're speaking to God. That's, any relationship is like that. We were made in the image of God. Part of that means we were made for relationship. God made up the rules for relationships. Relationships require communication. No communication, no relationship. And the third one was, if I want a relationship with someone that's real and deep and meaningful, that is a picture of abiding, I've got to spend time, right? So just spending time with Jesus in the word, in prayer, in meditation, in worship, in obedience, in mission. So then we can ask ourselves, because I already asked this, are you Christian? Endeavoring to abide in Christ. Well, what does it mean? At the very minimum, it means your schedule has as a primary priority time with Jesus. No time with Jesus scheduled into your life, hard to abide. Hard to abide. You know how life is. What we schedule gets priority. What is a priority makes it on our schedule. We're all busy you go up and you meet someone, "Hey, how you doing?" "Oh, busy." Even people that aren't busy say that, right? Right? Like college students summer break, you're like, "How are you all oh, busy?" No, you're not. You're at the beach every day. But that's because our, our culture, so we just we're, we're 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 busy people. And so if you don't schedule something, it's very unlikely to happen except for in those serendipitous moments and that is not what makes up Christianity. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That means there will be some discipline. That means it will involve scheduling. That means it will involve prioritizing time with the lover of our souls in the word, in prayer, in meditation, in obedience, in mission. Time with Jesus. And Jesus made it real clear. Listen, you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. It's going to be the outflow. Just like a vine that, or a branch that abides in the vine, right, when it's in the vine, the vine's going to supply everything that it needs to bear fruit, right? The branch doesn't actually do anything or have to do anything. It's just like hanging there. You get in the place where you're hanging with the vine, the source, and He will provide everything that you need in your life To bear fruit. He will cause your life to bear fruit. Without that, we don't bear fruit. So back to First John now. In verse 28, gosh, we're only in the first verse of several. In verse 28, John is wanting to take us deeper. He told us last week that what matters is right belief about Jesus Christ. In light of living in the last days, and with many antichrists. And he tells us in verse 28 now that it is not only right belief about Jesus that matters, but it is true connection to Jesus that matters. True connection is dependent upon right belief. You can't believe that Jesus is a Hindu yogi and have true connection, You can't believe that Jesus is one God of many gods and have true connection. True connection is dependent upon true identity. Abiding is dependent upon doctrinal correctness about who Christ is. But he's telling us, right belief is not enough. If you were to poll Americans, most Americans believe that Jesus is the only unique son of God who died for the sins of the world. But most Americans are not born again and abiding in him. It's not enough to intellectually believe. He's talking about true connection through faith. There must be in our relationship with Christ an experience of relationship 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 3 gets at this in a neat way Peter was of course John's buddy right remember the inner circle of disciples James Peter and John isn't it neat that all their epistles ended up in the back of the Bible together remember they were like the main dudes and then when God's putting the Bible together he said I'm going to put you guys in the back just a little humility there not, not a funny joke not a funny joke okay it went over your head you'll get it in like 15 minutes His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, one word in the Greek, epinosis, of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. This verse is saying that we have everything that we need for life through true knowledge of Jesus Christ. True knowledge. Epinosis, the normal word for knowledge in Greek is gnosis. You know that, gnosis, knowledge, gnosis. This is a different word, true knowledge. Epinosis, look what it means. Epinosis is more intense than mere gnosis or knowledge. It's clear, exact, experiential knowledge. It expresses a more thorough participation in the object, Jesus, on the part of the subject, us, participation. So again, back to the verse. We have everything that we need for life and godliness according to true participation in the life of Jesus Christ. Experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just knowing about, but knowing him. We could say it, and John might have said it this way. We have everything we need for life with all its up and downs, and godliness with all of its challenges through abiding in Christ. Through abiding in Christ. Thorough participation in the object, Jesus, on the part of the subject. Christianity is not passive. Oh, I'm saved, let's just get on with it. Christianity is meant to be aggressive in the way that we approach our relationship. It's to be pursued. So in verse 28, John is urging us to dive into Jesus, to experience him, to drink deeply of him, to stay deeply, continually, truly connected, to participate in the life of Christ. And what happens then is our lives are transformed. Again, when we stay connected, he causes us to bear fruit. Excuse me. Connectivity is transformational. This relational reality changes our lives so that we look more like Jesus. And can I remind us, Christian brothers and sisters, that the goal is to be more like Jesus. That is the goal. That is the goal. Missionally, as we're out in the world, that we would have the aroma of Christ Right? Some people are never going to read the Bible, never going to come to church. They're going to learn something about Jesus through my life. (laughs) And that is the goal with one another in the family of God. That I would treat you more like I've been treated by Christ. That I would forgive you as I've been forgiven by Christ. That I would love in the way that I've been loved that we do this with one another. The goal is to be more like Jesus. Look what Romans says, verse... Chapter 8, verse 29 is one of your favorites, my favorite. And we know that God calls all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Stop right there. Don't look at it. Look at me. Now, the way that we generally interpret that is to those who are called according to their purpose. God works all things together for good. The way that we you're looking at it, I see you right there, you're looking at it. The way that we generally interpret that is that we think, okay, good, God's going to do what I want. God works all things together for my good. Well, my good is what I want, by golly. (laughs) That's what we generally think. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of God. That's the good being spoken of in verse 28. God works all things together for good. How is good defined here? Being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the good, right? Bad things happen. We say, well, God will work it out for good. Like a return on income or having another kid or another whatever it is. It's not what it is. It's looking more like Jesus. It's not always going to be a pleasant experience being conformed to the image of Christ. Christ said, you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You want to look like Jesus, it's going to mean the peaceful fruit of righteousness, Hebrews chapter 12, which is going to mean some discipline. Jesus said, you're going to abide in me, you're going to look like me, you're going to bear fruit in your life, you're going to abide in my love, the Father's going to prune you a little bit. Another sermon for another day. So being deeply and truly connected to Christ transforms our lives, makes us more like Jesus. That is the imagery that is being employed here when it says abiding. It is an imagery of relationship. Now, new imagery in the 29th verse. It says, If you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Is born of him. This being born again imagery, again, he's taking it from Jesus, Jesus chapter 3, right? Talking about being born again. You want to see the kingdom of God? You have to be born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. Listen, born speaks of one thing relational connectivity. You're not born of someone without being deeply connected, right? I just had a baby girl, and my wife is so deeply connected to that baby girl. She carried her for nine months. It speaks of deep connectivity. Jesus was saying to us, when you put your faith in me as the only unique son of God and the savior of the world, you repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness, you're gonna be born from above, born of God, born again. You're gonna have a new primary connectivity. You're gonna have a heavenly father. So right on the heels of that then, forget about the chapter break, that was added by people. John said right on the heels of that, see how great a love, next verse. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. See how great a love. Though we were disobedient, though we were rebels, God so loved the world that he gave his son when we believe in him, we're born again. Deep connectivity. It's meant to be relationship. So abide. Abide in the vine. But don't forget that it also means this. If you're born of someone, you're eventually going to look like them. That's a little bit of the imagery that's being employed there. Right? You're going to look like them. You're going to look different, but you're going to look like And isn't it amazing when someone has a baby? Like one moment you're looking at it and you're like, you look just like your mom. And then the next moment, you look just like your dad. Isn't it weird how God does that? Like they look like themselves, but somehow they also look like you. Isn't that an amazing thing? You are you. You are meant to look like yourself, but you are also meant to look like God. Because you're born of God. Because you're the children of God. You are definitely meant to be you. He made you to be you. But we're also supposed to look like Jesus because we're born of him. And if you see a kid for the first time whose parent you never met, you're not gonna say to them, oh, you look just like your dad, dude. You're not gonna recognize the connectivity because you've never met the mom or the dad. That's simply what he's saying in the second part of verse one of chapter three. For this reason, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. The world is not always gonna see our lives and go, oh, praise the Lord, you look just like the Lord Jesus. (laughs) They're not gonna say that because they don't know Jesus. They're gonna say, you are so contrary to culture. Why are you rallying against that? Why don't you understand that to be true love? Why do you say that's wrong? Why don't you do that when we do that? Why do you go there on Sundays? Why are you giving your hard-earned money? They're not always going to connect the dots. It's part of what we need to do through the preaching of the gospel. And John has been getting at this in the whole letter. That if we are truly connected to Jesus, then our lives will truly be transformed. Let me just say it in a scary way because John's been saying it in a pretty scary way for several weeks now. If there's no transformation, there has been no salvation. Now, we're not talking about being perfect. John said in chapter one, if we say that we have no sin, we're kidding ourselves and we're calling God a liar. He say, he acknowledges that we're going to sin. He said in chapter 2, verse 1, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins. He's not talking about perfectionism. He's not saying you're going to be amazing even. Nor is he talking about legalism, trying to atone for our own sins through right behavior. We're trying to earn salvation by impressing God. He's not talking about that. He's simply saying what we ought to applaud as being wonderfully true, that if we have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And if we are truly connected to him as the vine and his spirit is in us, there is going to be a degree of life transformation. And if there is none, then you are not. There are moments of backsliding. (laughs) Oh, There are times of great failure. We're not talking about our best moments. We're not talking about our worst moments. We're talking about the tone and the tenor, the ebb and the flow of our life. We ought to be being conformed to the image of Christ. That is the proof that we have been born of God. Transformation comes from true connection. But we also realize, and John's made this very clear, that it won't be complete in this life right it won't be complete in this life he was he's been dealing with people who thought they got to some state that they wouldn't sin and I told you we've had people in our church before who had this idea of perfection and sanctification that they got to some state in which they didn't sin and we had a conversation with them that caused them to sin and they left (laughs) that was funny huh (laughs) That process of sanctification is a process, but it will never be complete in this life. John is always reminding us of the already not yet nature of the kingdom. Remember, we've talked about that a lot. And he says it in verse two again in a different way. Beloved, we are already the children of God. That's how the NLT reads. Verse two, beloved, we are now the children of God, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Already, not yet. We're already born again. We're already beginning to resemble Jesus Christ. But it's not yet completed. We're waiting for that day. And we've talked about that a lot. And so he says that. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. We have been changed by the love of God in Christ. We are daily being changed by the love of God in Christ and we will ultimately be changed. When he appears, we will be like him in all sorts of ways. Glorify bodies, environment that's free of Satan, free of sin, and free of sinful flesh. And we will see Jesus in all his glory. And I will tell you that in that moment, there will be no other aspiration in our lives than to be like him. And being free from sin and free from the flesh and free from the devil, that is exactly what will take place. No other aspiration. The ultimate expression of worship is imitation. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, therefore, beloved, be imitators of God. Man, when we get to heaven and we see Jesus in all of his righteousness and all of his glory, we will be like him. Because of this imminent expectation of the return of Jesus Christ, as we spoke of last week, then, we live differently now. We're not just waiting around to be changed. Final verse, verse three of chapter three. It says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. We're not just waiting around to be changed when Jesus returns. We are actively seeking transformation through abiding right now. We are daily going along with the transforming work and leading of the Holy Spirit right now. We are letting God conform us to the image of his son and we participate in the life of Christ right now through obedience, through repentance, through abiding, through pursuing holiness. Because, 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 see how great a love the father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. That is a clear, true present reality and so we are always endeavoring to live into that love but there's also coming a day at any moment when Christ returns for his bride and we will experience the fullness of that thing and so we live a certain way in light of that return and everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus of his return purifies himself just as he is pure. One time when my son Isaiah was very young, my wife had some powdered donuts in the pantry. And uh, she never buys those anymore, but you know, it was a different age. <laughs> Powder donuts in the pantry. And she was in the kitchen working and the pantry door is closed and she saw the light on in there and she heard some noise. And she went and she opened the door and this little boy at the time, he's 13 now, this little boy turned around and he had powder all over his face. All over his face. And his mama said to him, Isaiah, have you been eating the powdered donuts? No. No. Are you sure, sweetheart? Not me, Mom. (laughs) The return of Christ is imminent, it could happen at any moment. Everyone who has this hope, this biblical hope, this core tenet of the Christian faith, purifies himself even as he is pure. Because on the day when Jesus returns, I don't want to have powdered donuts all over my face. I mean, I really don't. Let's just get down to the nitty-gritty. What do I want to be found doing when the righteous king of heaven appears for us? It's pretty cut and dry for me. It's pretty clear. You see how when we recognize that the light is true coming, all that gray space we've been talking about disappears. It's not gray. What do I want to be doing in the moment and with my life when the righteous king appears? There's nothing gray about that. There's some stuff I know I don't want to do. It's darkness. And there's stuff I know I want to do. It's walking in the light. That's what he's saying. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll just read it and end. You were formerly darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible. When they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, let's not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Lord, that you would help us with that. Thank you again for so great a salvation. Thank you again for delivering us from the domain of darkness and bringing us into the light of Jesus Christ. That you would just help us now, Lord, to live and walk in that light to participate in that light thank you for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit who convicts us and convinces us about dark places in our lives we want to be faithful we want to be branches that look like the vine that stay connected we need your help Holy Spirit Empower us to walk in a manner worthy of so great a calling. By grace deal with our dark places and spaces. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that we have been and are fully forgiven and released from the dead of sin. That we are accepted by the Father in Christ. Thank you that there is no condemnation, but thank you that there is conviction. that you clearly show us right from wrong and you're drawing us into the right to walk according to the light. Do that for us, Lord.